Hey, how's it going? You guys good? Cool. Yeah, all right. Man, Thursday night. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bible um, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And tonight, again, we are looking at uh, a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church um, who is dealing with some things. They're struggling with what does it actually mean to live and love Jesus in a culture that doesn't love Jesus. And so Paul is writing to them, addressing some of the struggles that they're having. And specifically tonight, we're gonna see him addressing them thinking about spiritual matters. So like the spiritual, holy, like what is the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. And Paul is going to address questions that they had about that. And tonight we wanna, we're gonna see how they were actually in danger of looking at spirituality as an area of personal growth or experience. And I think if we're not careful, we too, we can think about spirituality and Christianity only through the lens of personal growth and experience. And tonight we're gonna look at verses one through 11, and it really serves as an introduction to the rest of the chapter. And so in verse 12, there's this great analogy uh, that Paul is going to use. And so Paul is gonna use verses seven and 11 to drive home a main point. And I think this point is this, that our unique spiritual giftedness should not divide us, but it should unite us. Because spiritual gifts are given from God for each person, for the common good of the church to fulfill their purpose. That's what I think the big idea is. And I'll kind of show you where I get that from. So let's go ahead and jump into it. You got your Bible? We're gonna start in verse one. Verse one says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, is that what your Bible says there, spiritual gifts? If, if you notice, there might be an asterisk there. Uh, the word there might not just mean gifts, it could mean like spiritual matters, spiritual people. Paul's just saying, hey, talking about spirituality in general, he says this, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. Paul knows that they've gone a little bit off track and he wants to guide them. He wants them to be aware of what is going on. And in the same way, man, I think God wants to speak to you tonight to make you aware of what is going on through the Holy Spirit, specifically as he shows us through his words. He want, Paul wants to guide them because they've gone off track. And we even see that in verse two. He says this to remind them in verse two. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. What is the most important thing when you get lost? Like if you were to get lost, like let's say I was to like pluck you from your seat right now and just drop you off somewhere in the, Am like somewhere in some jungle. You don't even know if it's the Amazon. It's just green and monkeys and stuff. What is the most important thing to like escape? What do you need? Like if you had like a thing of supplies, what would you hope that's in there? Water, okay, yeah, but like to get out. Yeah, you need water, but like, what's gonna help you get out? Like a map, a compass? Wrong, wrong, wrong. What is the one thing that you need to know if you're lost? A map and a compass can only help you if what? If you know where you are at. And that is what Paul is reminding them. 
He's like clicking the location button on the iPhone of like, hey, remember your current location. And, and what Paul does to remind them of their current location, and I think oftentimes, like we should do this as well as followers of Christ, to know where we're at, we need to look where we once were. And Paul is doing just that. Hey, remember where you're at now by looking back. And he points them and says this in verse two. Did you see that? When you were pagans. And pagan is not that weird of a term. It doesn't mean like if I asked you to go to Taco Bell and you'd be like, no, I'm pagan. It's not like a vegan term. <laughs> what pagan means, <laughs> what pagan means is, is they didn't worship the one true God, but they were worshiping a bunch of different idols. And he's saying, remember when you did that? When you were once pagan? And, and, and in Greece, in the current culture, we knew that they, they just worshiped a bunch of different gods. Like there were gods everywhere that they would give sacrifices to, that they would give money to. This was a common thing. I remember even seeing something like a picture of like this when, when I went to India one time and you see a, a massive amount of Hindus and at every street corner, there's like these booths with like random idols and people would come and give money and they would pray and there's these different gods, money or gods for like, man, if you wanna have a good life or prosperous or you wanna have money or you wanna have good sex or you wanna find your soulmate, it's like you give money to like these certain different gods. And, and that is what Paul is reminding them. He's saying, you once followed a bunch of mute idols. And before we think like, hey, this is a foreign concept to us, this is the very state in which our culture is in right now. This is the very state that your campus, our campus is in right now. Our culture is chock full of worshiping idols. We just give our gods different names. So instead of worshiping Vishnu and Brahma and like, I can't even think of any other names. Uh, but instead of worshiping those gods, we worship our boyfriend and girlfriend and we put ourselves in service to them. And we will give up following God in order to follow them and put ourselves in service to them. We worship our jobs. We worship our future careers. We worship idols. We just give them different names to make it a little bit more tolerable. An idol is anything that you place yourself in service of in the place of Christ. So where Christ should be in place, we place something else. Instead of God, we put something else and we serve that in order to get something. Sometimes we, we serve God's hoping for something in return. A lot of times we're hoping for fulfillment. We're hoping for pleasure. We're hoping for a good life. And we serve those idols. Okay, like I'll, I'll, I'll give myself to, to this boyfriend or girlfriend. I'll give myself to just like looking good on Instagram and all these different things that we're just serving, hoping that we're gonna get what we want out of it. And, and in God, actually in Gospel 101 this morning uh, at the 6.30 a.m. class, shout out to you guys. They didn't really shout that loud because they're still sleeping. Um, there was a quote from, from John Calvin uh, in the Gospel 101 section this morning, and it said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Listen, guys, our hearts 
are drawn to idol worship. Why? I think it even tells us there, like in verse two, he says, you used to be enticed, led astray. Listen, idols in the world right now, they will entice you and they will lead you astray. But hear me out, and I think you know this. After they entice you, after they lead you in, they will leave you continually empty and enslaved. We looked for them for salvation. We looked for this thing for fulfillment and we didn't find it. Instead, we found emptiness. And I'm wondering like, man, is there anyone in the room tonight that feels empty? Does anyone feel like they've been used? Like the thing that they were searching for It didn't live up to what it said it was gonna do. If you're here tonight and you feel like you've been running away from the presence of God, or maybe you've been running towards an idol, or maybe you feel like an idol enslaved you, it brought you in and now you're just left empty and you feel used and thrown to the side. I wanna let you know you're not alone. And I wanna let you know that there's good news for those who feel empty with the thing that they're searching for right now. And this is the good news. There's a passage in 1 Peter 2.24. says this, he himself, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now listen to this. By his wounds, you have been healed. Verse 25, and this is, this is the best part of this verse. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Listen, no matter how far, listen to me tonight. Listen, no matter how far you were led astray by an idol, no matter how far down the path you were of searching for happiness and then left empty, no matter how far you feel like you were led astray from God, know this. Christ went that far for you. Jesus himself, God sent his son that far, no matter how far you were straying away, no matter how ashamed you felt, or you didn't feel like you could ever come back to the presence of God, God sent his son that far. He came to redeem God's blessing for your life as far as you went astray. As sin runs deep, grace runs deeper. I love that verse. And, and, and I love the verse because it says, I wanna return you to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Sin and idols want to enslave you. Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus is a good shepherd. He's not gonna enslave you. He wants to give you life. He wants to protect you. He's a good master. He doesn't use you. He doesn't want you just for what you can give him. He wants to serve you. He is a good master. And I wanna tell you tonight and everyone in the room, including myself, that you can experience freedom and life abundantly and you can find fulfillment, not in idols, not in the things in this world. We can't find it in that but in an actual 
living relationship with the God of the universe. Did you notice the the adjective Paul uses for idols in verse two? He uses the adjective mute. That's how he describes idols. I think this is because it's in direct juxtaposition to what it looks like to live a life with the one true God. A life with God is a life that communicates with God. You can actually speak to God. God talks to you. Idols are mute. And I think if we look at verse three, we're gonna see a helpful distinction between what God's voice sounds like and then what just the voice of the world sounds like. Are you with me? I think we can see what God's voice looks like and what God's voice doesn't look like. And we see that in verse three. Read along with me. It says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. Basically what this verse is saying here is the person who denies Jesus' supreme authority and in doing so, basically saying that Jesus is cursed, that he doesn't matter. Jesus is, you know, he's cursed. He, He wasn't who he says he was. That person is not speaking with the Spirit of God in their life. The spirit of the true God is not speaking in their life if they curse Jesus. Because, and this is why, that's true. Because the spirit of God, the one true spirit of God points to what is true. And what is true is that Jesus alone is Lord and worthy to be praised. I remember uh, Chris Cook, and I don't really have time for this, but Chris Cook taught on this um, at our missions training um, a while back, and he said the question, is Jesus the only way to heaven? He posed that question, and what he said is, that's actually not a great question. A better question is this, who else is worthy? Answer this, who else is worthy to take away the sins of the world and worthy of praise? And we see that in verse 3. Man, if it's not speaking of who Jesus is, then it is not speaking of truth because the Spirit of God exclusively, know this, the Spirit exclusively points to Jesus because Jesus is exclusively worthy. The Spirit and spirituality is always going to point to Jesus. It will exclusively point to who Jesus is because Jesus is exclusively worthy. And he actually continues in verse three and says this. And in fact, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, which means this. Anyone in this room who would claim to be a believer, like if you say that Jesus is the Lord of your life, this is only due to the fact that the Holy Spirit of God brought you from death to life, which is so cool because that means this. Your testimony the fact that like, you can say that Jesus is Lord of your life, that is in fact a testament to the fact that God is working and speaking in the world. Like the even fact that you can say that Jesus is your Lord is the fact that the Holy Spirit is working on your life. It's also cool because every person's testimony is significant. No matter if you grew up in a church home or you had a radical conversion story, it's not about you. It's all about the fact that God brought you from death to life, and that is a significant story. Ephesians 1.14, and Michael hit on this a little bit last week, tells us that 
the Holy Spirit in our life, the fact that we have God's Spirit in us and working is actually a seal and a down payment of our inheritance that we have been given. This is proof, the fact that God is working through us. And with God's Spirit working inside of you, he is continually empowering you, equipping you, and encouraging you in the form of undeserved grace. The fact that God is working inside of you, he actually is equipping you and empowering you and giving you grace or the word that we get for gifts. You have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in your life is giving you gifts. Look at verse four. He says, now, speaking about different gifts that the Holy Spirit is providing in your life. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. What are some of the things that we saw that were different in there? Different ministries, different activities, different gifts. But what's the same? Same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. He's showing something specific about God here. Something specifically unique about God in this passage. He is showing that each person of the Trinity, so each person of the, the persons of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are of the same substance and after one purpose, bringing glory to one another. So the Trinity is bringing unity together, loving each other. Though they are different, they're the same in purpose. So though God is different in three persons, he is the same in purpose, which leads Paul to his main point. So he uses that to make a point, And this is the point that this is true about God, right? Different persons with one purpose. And this is also true about you. That is his main point tonight. That's true about God and it's also true about you in the room. Look at verse seven. This is, this is kind of his main point that he's gonna sandwich in with the last verse to kind of tag home what his point is here. Verse seven says, a manifestation of the spirit, a presence of God's spirit is given to each person for the common good. Okay, who is the spirit given to there? right after it says given to. Who is the spirit given to? Each person. And what is the spirit given for? The common good. Paul begins to then list out different gifts that God has given individuals for the common good. So it's given for each person and for the common good. And then he's going to list out, all right, what is it that the spirit is doing? And here it is in verse eight. Let's read through this. And then we'll take a breather. Verse eight. To one, given, one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Verse nine says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretations of tongues. Okay, 
couple notes about this list that you just saw about spiritual gifts. The gifts we see in this passage right here in your Bible, this is a non-exhaustive list, okay? So this is not every spiritual gift that God gives. In fact, there's four different sections in scripture where we see spiritual gifts given. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, and then here in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is just giving us a glimpse of what God has given the church for the common good, to, to help the church out. This is, there's actually no place in scripture where there is a full list and there's no place in scripture where they're even in the same order. So to try and like figure out which spiritual gift is better than another is to do something that scripture doesn't allow us to do. You can even like break down the spiritual gifts in there into categories, like between knowledge, like, hey, people who have the gift of wisdom and acknowledging other, um, like other spiritual gifts, there's the gift of power. So people who have the power to heal people. Um, and then the gifts of speech, where people have the power to speak in tongues or to give in prophecy. But that's not even the point of Paul's whole passage here is to list off spiritual gifts and to talk about them. He is talking about these spiritual gifts so that each person knows they are gifted for the common good. Okay, my mom growing up uh, would make these like special cookies, but she would only make them in the fall, okay? So they're called pumpkin cookies because pumpkin fall, yeah, you know, pumpkin spice lattes, hooray. Um, she would make them every year, all growing up, and they kind of became this famous thing. They're like really freaking good. And so she would only make them in October. So you'd start craving them, like, like, you know, like addicted to them, like come spring, but you like couldn't get them. She's like, sorry, I won't give the recipe out only in October. So my whole life, like growing up, like even going off to college, my mom would just send me cookies, okay? Like boxes of them. And, and I would just like eat them all. And I remember freshman year, like she sent me this great box of cookies, you know, just like a little personal box. And I had like one, left it on my desk, had to go do something, probably like play Frisbee or something or take a nap or not do homework. And, <laughs> and I come in and the cookies are gone, right? And you're just like really ticked off. So then my mom was like, okay, next year, like I lived in a house with six other guys my junior and senior year. It was terrible. It smelled really bad. Um, we called it the HBH, which stood for the Hot Boy Hacienda. Um, <laughs> just a moment of transparency here. Uh, <clears throat> but my mom sent me, like, this time, like a giant box of, like, these pumpkin cookies, right? And so I got them in the mail. And I got them, and you know what I did? Like a good roommate, went to each of my friends and hid it behind my back and went into my room and closed the door, <laughs> turned off the lights, put on some sad music and just started eating these cookies. Like, like just went to flipping town on them. And like, it got to the point where I couldn't eat any more of them. You know, like you feel sick, too much of a good thing. And so then I'm like, okay, I can't eat anymore. So here's what I need to do. I need to find more smaller Tupperwares and then I'm gonna hide them across the house. So no one can eat these, right? And so I did. You know what the problem is about hiding cookies across the house? You forget where you put them and they turn moldy, and mice come and eat them. Anyways, that's a different story. Um, I didn't want to share, right? Because this is for me. Like, this is my thing. 
I wanted to take what was been given to me and use it for myself. The bummer was when my mom came to visit a couple months later and she looked at one of my best friends who was my roommate and was like, how did you like the cookies? And he goes, what cookies? My mom looked at me like, are you kidding me? A hundred cookies? I'm like, sorry. (laughs) I wanted to take what was given for me and I wanted to just, I wanted to hoard it for myself. Here's the problem. They weren't intended just for me. Like she gave me a giant box and it was intended to share. It was intended to give. They were mailed to me. They were addressed to me with my name on it. They were uniquely gifted to me, but they weren't just for me. In the same way, we have to look at our lives. We have to look at the gifts that God has been given to us, that God has given us abilities, and we have to look at those gifts through the lens of the mission of God. We must see that we have been given grace. We have been given gifts, not to hoard them, but to then freely give them away, to give back, to use what we have been given for the sake of others. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is what makes your spiritual gift possible. And it is the gospel that makes your spiritual gift purposeful. It is possible and purposeful. I think 1 Peter 4 verse 10 gives us a good framework of this. And and I gotta kind of hurry through this, but 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this. Just as each person or just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. I love what uh, John Piper calls, um, or what he says about uh, gifts specifically in this context. He says this about what a spiritual gift is. Your gift is a personally unique capacity for stewarding grace to others. Your gift is a personally unique capacity for stewarding grace to others. You have been given a gift to give others. Who am I talking about here in that passage? Each one. We have a personal responsibility to steward the gift that God has given you for the sake of of others, which means what? You, in this room right now, have been gifted for this moment in time. God has gifted you right now in 2019 in Cedar Falls, Iowa, specifically for this time to use your gift for other people. Not me, not Michael, not your connection group leader. God views you as a unique capacity to steward what he, what he has given you for the sake of bringing it to other people. Like, like, you, like it's not about like even staff at church. Like you don't need me to pray with your friend. Like God has given you the unique ability 
to bring grace into their life. He has freely given you grace and gifts so that you can use those. You don't need someone on staff. You don't need me teaching behind the Bible. You have specifically been gifted for this time. The relationships you have right now, you have been gifted to steward grace to those relationships. I think we want to look at certain people and be like, they're the gifted ones. They're the ones that are supposed to carry on the gospel and all these different things. But that is not the truth that we see in scripture. In both of these passages, God has gifted each one with spiritual gifts, which is Paul's main point of this whole section. And then we're gonna close with verse 11, right? The last verse of this section. And he says this, one and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Okay, I wanna look at three things in verse 11 very quick that really summarize his thoughts on spiritual gifts, specifically that we see in verse 11, because I think it's his main point. And so I'm gonna take three things that I think we see in there. The first one is this, spiritual gifts are from one source, God. Verse, in verse 11, he says, one and the same spirit is active in all of these. Your spiritual gift is from one source. In all of our giftings, guys, they are from one source, and that is God. It is a work of God so that no one can boast. Like, how can, how can we take pride in something, which is what the Corinthian church was just struggling so much at. They wanted to boost themselves up. How can you take pride in something that has just been given to you? How can you elevate one gifting over another when the power comes from one source? The gift of teaching does not make you more special than the other person. The gift of music doesn't make you more special than another. Someone who has the gift of evangelism, the gift of hospitality. God has uniquely, specifically gifted you with the Holy Spirit in order to empower you. And it is from the, the same source. Knowing that it is from the same source creates unity among us. It should create a radical sense of like unified family in the room because we all serve the same God who gives us grace and power. Man, this should kill comparison. This should kill compa com comparison, man. <laughs> all right, second thing. Second thing we learn from there, moving on. Second thing about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are to each person. Did you see it there in verse 11 again? Distributing to each person. You have an opportunity to use your gift. Look at me. Not only do you have an opportunity, you have a responsibility to the church to use your spiritual gift. And yes, spiritual gifts are used like meant for the corporate gathering, like, hey, gifts of music and teaching and all these different things, but they're also meant for your individual and personal use. I was talking with a guy today who was talking with a guy that he's trying to share the gospel to and he was trying to invite him to salt and he wouldn't come to salt. And then it was like a light bulb came off in his head and he goes, I don't have to invite him to salt and ask him, hey, do you just wanna sit down and read the Bible and hear about who Jesus is? And the student was like, yeah, I'll do that. Listen, you have been given a gift, not just for this salt company, you've been gifts in personal life. It's not just even for the extroverts in the room. 
man, you have been given a specific gift, whether that's empathy, whether that's understanding. There's so many different gifts that God has enabled in this room. And what God has uniquely gifted you was for the purpose of encouraging other people's faith. I think usually we think of this. What area can my gifts best flourish in? Or what can best serve my gifts that I'm good at? What, can best, what best fits my Enneagram number? Like, I'm a seven, so like, what best fits me? Like, I can run around and talk to people. Let, yeah, put me in a setting, God, where like you can use my sevenness. If you don't know Enneagram, you're probably thinking I'm really weird right now. And in a cult. That is not the perspective that we're supposed to have. We shouldn't be asking, hey, where can, what can best serve my gifts? You know what we should be asking? Where can I serve? Not where can my gifts thrive? We should be saying, where am I needed most to serve others? The best way to use your gift isn't to find a situation where you can fit your gifting in, the best way to use your gift is to run towards the greatest need. Find a need and run to it. You should be asking, what's the biggest problem? Man, where's the biggest need in my community? Where can I serve? And I promise you what you're good at, what God has uniquely gifted you in, that is going to come out as you begin to solve that problem. Me and my wife are, are wired so differently. Like, but you know what's funny is like when we both enter into a problem, whether it's like speaking into someone's life or, or dealing with hurt, like we'll, we'll run to that problem, but the way we handle it is so different. She's a listener and she's kind and gentle and patient and I'm loud and obnoxious. But, but what we find is when you run to the greatest need, where you go where your purpose is needed, then you start finding, okay, how can my gift be used in this need? The biggest thing we need to be asking ourselves, it's not how I can be served, but how can I serve others? All right, the third thing that I think we see in this verse, his main point about spiritual gift is this. It is for the same purpose. We see that in the verse where he says, as he wills. He's talking about God. He gives gifts to each person as he wills. Paul's entire point of this whole section is to show the purpose of spiritual gifts is to love Christ and love the collective group of fellow believers. Spiritual gifts aren't for boasting. They're for the common good of building up each other, encourage each other in the faith. The purpose was for, the purpose of spiritual gifts are for God to empower the church to be able to build up the church and to continue to spread the message of Jesus to all nation. Guys, there is a world outside that is dying for the news that you have. There's a world right outside these doors that is literally dying and the enemy is using idols to distract them and to lead them astray and entice them and they're finding themselves that they're empty and the world is becoming more and more okay with a life without God. And a Thursday night event in Cedar Falls with one guy speaking is not going to save them. Me standing on this stage 
for 30 plus minutes is not going to be the answer to save the world. The answer is that Christ died to create a church, to empower a church, to empower individuals, your specific individual gifts. God wants to empower and equip that and then to send you to a dying world, not to bring them here, but to go to them. You've been created for a purpose. And that is why Paul is even writing to the church at Corinth. He's basically saying, quit arguing about things that don't matter. Quit boasting in spiritual gifts. Quit being divided. Don't you know that there's a world in need of the good news that Jesus died for them? And you're busy arguing about who's better? We don't have time to be divided in this room when people are literally dying and going to hell. Paul is urging us to be unified. To remember that you have been gifted specifically for the mission of God. We have been given the gift of Jesus and the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to empower each of you for the common good, to build up his church, to encourage one another, not to tear each other down, to encourage one another so that the good news of Jesus will be taken to those who desperately need it. Let's pray. Father, we, we just sang it a couple moments ago, but Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. God, I needed you when I was led astray by idols, enticed by what I thought would fulfill me and what I thought would bring me joy and it brought me emptiness. It brought me shame. And Father, you came after me and you invited me into a life to trade my idols for a good shepherd. And Father, I pray there's anyone in the room tonight that is just tired of running after these idols in the world, these things that just leave them empty. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit in this moment right now is drawing them to the good shepherd, the only one who can provide what they need, salvation and purpose. And Father, I pray for the believers in this room that we remember that we are not bystanders in this mission. We don't come and sit at an event, but Father, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. God, we have been given so much grace. May we not sit on that grace, but go to a world that needs it. In Jesus' name.